Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the weekly recap. I'm Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matt Locke. Hey. Hey. And and we're back for real. So the last few weeks, you've been watching pre-recorded uh, weekly recaps because I had a baby. I had our baby, yep. our third son, Wesley. So he's seven weeks old now. And, and so we're back to our regularly scheduled recap. So here we are. And we are going to be recapping Luke chapter 19 to John chapter 11. So... Let's jump right in. That's what we read this week. So the first thing we read, Luke chapter 19. So we uh, saw here in this chapter, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, a chief tax collector, uh, he is saved by Christ. So his life turns around uh, in this chapter. Then we also have Jesus giving the uh, the teaching of the parable of the 10 minas or the parable of the talents. Um, and essentially, the, the wicked servant in this parable, he didn't do anything with the money, the, the talent or the mina, that the, the minas that the king gave to him. And with this money that the king gave him, he told him to work it. Uh, but the wicked servant did not do it. Uh, and, you know, this parable is given just as Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. And so we see him here in this chapter accusing the people who are supposed to be the people of God of not working for God's kingdom, for God's mission. And he gives a warning to all of those who will not welcome him as king, as Messiah, which is really interesting. So then we have at the end of Luke chapter 19, uh, closer to the end, the triumphal entry where Jesus finally goes into into Jerusalem. Uh, and this time as he goes in, uh, during festival time, he's welcomed by a bunch of people as the messianic king, as this prophesied messiah. Now, the Pharisees are upset by this because the people are quoting um, from, you know, some of the Psalms and, and from Old Testament prophets, clearly identifying Jesus as the Messiah. And the Pharisees want Jesus to rebuke the people to tell them that they're wrong. But Jesus says to the Pharisees, if they stop, the very rocks will cry out. So this is Jesus saying, I'm not going to stop them because they're right. Hmm. And nature itself will testify to the fact that they're right if they refuse to testify. So very bold statement there from Christ. Jesus then goes to the temple and here's when he drives out sellers who are in the temple complex. And then we're told that he teaches each day in the temple complex. Now, Luke chapter 20, this is this records interactions that Jesus had while he was in that temple complex teaching uh, daily. So we've got the parable of the talents. You know, it shames those who have rejected Christ and eventually will kill him. Um, we see the the educated men, the religious leaders, uh, trying to trap Jesus with questions. So they question Jesus about taxes paid to Caesar. Should we do these? Should we pay these? Very controversial issue. So it's they're questioning Jesus with hot button cultural issues, things that the society at the time was divided over, thinking that if Jesus would take a side the he they would split the popular vote because Jesus had the popular vote right now. He was very popular with the people. So let's get him to make a stand on one of these hot button cultural issues so that at least half of the people will abandon him. But Jesus couldn't be trapped. You know, with his taxes question, he comes out with a brilliant give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. So he kind of flips the narrative on them. It's not about money. It's not about that. It's about what belongs to man and what belongs to God. 
He, you know, ends up dropping the fact that there's no marriage at the resurrection when he's questioned about marriage. And then Jesus actually begins to question them. Uh, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David when David calls him Lord in the Psalms? And he really quiets them down with that. So Jesus ends up warning the people not to be hypocrites, not to uh, be seeking attention like the teachers of the law. So this is a big smackdown and a critique on those teachers of the law. Luke chapter 21, this is where we get Jesus's teaching on the destruction of the temple that happened after his life here on earth in AD 70, and also on the end time. So there's different interpretations of this, but generally we know that he's talking about the Temple Mount, and he may also be talking about things to come as well. We're told also in Luke chapter 21 that Jesus would spend his days teaching in the temple complex, and then he would spend his nights on the Mount of Olives, which is a mount just on the outside of the city. Luke chapter 21. This is so interesting because the author of Luke here reintroduces Satan where he says, you know, Satan entered. Oops, sorry. (laughs) I hit the mic because I'm getting excited because I really love this. Satan entered uh, Judas Iscariot, because Judas is going to be betraying Jesus now that the the end of Jesus's life is being set up here. But what's really interesting about this is that in Luke chapter four, after the temptation of Christ in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, the author of Luke wrote that the devil left Christ until an opportune time. So now that he's specifically identifying that the devil entered Judas Iscariot, he's bringing Satan back into the narrative at this point. So he was in at the beginning, he's been watching, and now he's back in at the end. Luke is showcasing God's plan here to bring redemption and how God is working despite Satan's plan to destroy Christ. It's really interesting literary dynamic going on. Okay, so In Luke 22, we've got the Last Supper, instituting communion or the Eucharist, right? We we see Jesus mention that he's going to be betrayed. So the disciples are trying to figure out who that is. Uh, They go to the Mount of Olives to pray after dinner, and Jesus is arrested there. And he's taken to the high priest's home uh, for judgment. And Luke records a little bit of a different response that Jesus has. Um, different from the response that is in the other Gospels. So in the other Gospels, uh, Jesus, the response is the same as here, starts the same as here in Luke. But in the other Gospels, it ends with, but this must be according to the scriptures, talking about his judgment. Um, But here in Luke, Luke has him saying, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So very cool difference. And again, it really ties in this this concept that Luke is saying that Satan is involved here. The devil is involved here uh, with influencing people to event to really bring about God's plan, which is interesting. Okay. We also see Peter denying that he knows Christ, which of course Jesus predicted at dinner. Luke chapter 23, Jesus is brought before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect, prefect or governor of Judea at this time. Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee. So not wanting to really have to deal with this Jesus problem, Pilate sends him to Herod Antipas, who was technically ruling over Galilee 
at that time and just happened to be in Jerusalem for the festival. So he sends him to Herod. When Jesus doesn't reply to Herod's questions, he gets mocked and he gets sent back to Pilate. So it was a no-go. Pilate still has to deal with Jesus. Pilate sentences Jesus to crucifixion. um, And really interestingly here in Luke, on Jesus's way to the crucifixion site, he addresses women who had already begun to wail for him and mourn for him in the streets. He tells these women not to mourn now, for there is a worse time coming. Uh, We see criminals being crucified with Christ, and they come to different conclusions about it. And Jesus's death is also recorded here in Luke 23, as well as a Roman centurion who was overseeing the crucifixion, actually coming to faith in Christ because of Christ's response and attitude throughout the whole thing. Uh, People begin to leave the crucifixion site, except Luke mentions specifically those who knew him personally and his women disciples, the women followers of Christ who had come with Jesus from Galilee. They stay as well. We see Joseph of Arimathea getting permission to take Jesus's body and Joseph has him laid in his family tomb that's never been used before. Uh, The women went to Uh, to the tomb to see where it was. And then they left to prepare spices uh, for Jesus's burial, but they had to wait. They had to rest the Sabbath. And after Sabbath, they could come back to the body. So that's all in Luke 23. Luke 24. So uh, women who are recorded here in Luke, the women disciples being Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, as well as other women. But these are three mentioned by name, uh, went to the tomb and they met angels who told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. So when these women go back to the to the male disciples and tell them, they don't believe them. But Peter, wanting to be sure, goes to the tomb, sees it's empty uh, with just Jesus's burial linen left. Jesus in Luke 23 appears to two disciples who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they don't recognize Jesus at first. They tell Jesus what's happened uh, and that Peter and at least another disciple, uh, we know from other gospels that it's John, went to the tomb and didn't find the body. Uh, but they're just really not sure that Jesus has risen from the dead. So Jesus explains everything to these disciples and um gets to Emmaus, shares a meal with them. uh, And when he breaks bread and prays, they all of a sudden recognize that it is Christ and he disappears. So really interesting things are happening here. Um, When these disciples go back to Jerusalem and they tell the other disciples, um, those disciples then tell them that Jesus has also appeared to Peter. And then Jesus appears to all of the disciples while they're talking about these appearances of Christ. So we've got all of these records of the appearances of the risen Christ. And uh, obviously they're freaked out at first. They think he's a ghost. They want to feel Christ. He allows them to feel his hands and the scars. He eats for them to show them that he's not just a spirit. He is a physical body as well. Um, Jesus takes the disciples to Bethany. And then there's a record of him being taken up to heaven in yeah. Luke chapter 24. This is really rounding out the gospel and it, closing it off. It's so important. Anyone who tries to, anyone who tries to deny, <laughs> deny, mm-hmm. trying to say the word to deny, anyone, anyone who attempts to deny that Jesus did not rise in the flesh, mm-hmm. this is a test too in First John, everything like that. It's a really dangerous thing to tread because the point of the New Testament, and this is like what was going to, the point of what God is doing through humanity is to restore 
the flesh, to restore people yes. back to their position. So the idea of, hence the miracles of you know, healing people, right? It's like, it's all about restoration. Right? And that's part of new creation is, is part of that's restoration. Absolutely. So to to not rise in the flesh and just to rise in spirit, which First John, First John thinks is abominable. Like how could mm-hmm. you even think that, right? So it, it's tied to everything that we're doing. And personally, I think it's tied to a lot of controversies that we believe today, but I can get to that another time. But um, no, it's so important to remember that, that Jesus rose in the flesh. Anyone who denies that is denying the gospel. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And in the whole redemptive plan of God, it begins with the physical world and yes. with physical humanity. If God didn't want there to be a physical world, he wouldn't have created a physical world. He would have created a spiritual world. Right. But he created both in, in tandem together. That's right. And then we see him rising physically from the dead as well. It's, it's a choice that right. was made. And we read all about the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection from the dead, the physical resurrection, not just a spiritual resurrection, but a physical resurrection as well for all of us. Yes. We will rise like Christ, which is very No, it's important. So it's like Christ dies, then descends into Hades, Mm -hmm. then resurrects, and then ascends into heaven. Mm -hmm. That, like the death, descension... Of resurrection, ascension, mm-hmm. right? Though that four conquering the the physical death and the spiritual death, he's conquering both in that process, mm-hmm. and he's doing that for us too. That's kind of like the whole gist. So, anyways, but yeah, that's important. To, it to is mind. important. Thank you for drawing that out. Okay, John chapter one. We are moving on to this final gospel. So, <laughs> excuse me, John chapter one. So, uh, just a little bit of of background to this gospel if if you're a new christian uh, you may not have a lot of experience with this but a lot of christians talk about the gospel of john being a more spiritually minded gospel and we can see why right away in the first chapter of of john it talks about the nature of christ right away we're not introduced to his birth we're right away talking about the nature of christ and who the messiah was so really interesting in john chapter one if you haven't read it go back and read john chapter one this is a good one to know okay so in john chapter one after talking about the nature of christ the author then contrasts jesus with john the baptist showing that john the baptist was the prophesied forerunner to jesus not the Messiah himself. In fact, that Jesus was the Messiah. We also are shown in this gospel that some of Jesus's 12 disciples were actually first disciples of John the Baptist, which really isn't surprising, right? Because John attracted large crowds of religiously minded Jews who who were searching uh, for more. They were searching for what was missing. And and, and Jesus really took over from John the Baptist. We see that dynamic happening. So it's not surprising that some of Jesus' disciples first were disciples of John. John endorses or seems to endorse in the Gospels the ministry of Jesus. Okay, John chapter 2. This is the record of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding banquet. He and his disciples were there. His mother was there. And there's this really interesting interaction between him and his mom. Uh which is cool. Jesus then goes up to Jerusalem for Passover and he drives out the out of the temple courts uh, people who were selling sacrifices and he does this with a whip that he made himself. Um he throws the coins of the money changers down, he turns over their tables, he tells the dove sellers to get out. 
because they've turned God's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, into a marketplace. We see Jesus also doing miracles in Jerusalem at this time, but he does not reveal himself as Messiah yet. Uh, In John chapter 3, we have the record of Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders. He questions Jesus at night and alone. And you know what? There's a pet peeve of mine here. Okay. People really rag on Nicodemus for going to Jesus at night. They're like, oh, he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus. Okay, maybe, maybe he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus. But it's also equally as likely and probable that Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night so that he could actually converse with Jesus because Jesus attracted big crowds, huge crowds. And a lot of times when, when a religious leader was questioning Jesus, it became, uh, a ruckus event where Jesus is then not actually answering their questions, but countering their questions with his questions of their own because so it's equally as possible or probable that nicodemus just wanted a quiet talk and that's really important too because what if he doesn't know if he's like he clearly doesn't know if he's the messiah he's questioning him so he doesn't want to promote someone hey come over to my house then people be like oh he's going over to and then promote someone who could have been Mm -hmm. false right he doesn't know so he's just being cautious he may be being responsible i think it sounds responsible jesus doesn't chastise oh yeah it's a uh, thing jesus didn't chastise nicodemus for talking to him at night yeah. He just has a really honest conversation with him. He, he meets him where he is, which is right. really cool. So the conversation that they have is what it, about being born again and what that means and specifically what the Messiah's mission is, which is really interesting. We also see in John chapter three, before John the Baptist going to prison, he endorses Jesus. Right. Now, it is important to mention, too, that concept of being born of water and born of spirit. Okay. Because in the Israel... Israelite context, being born of water means to be born in general. Yeah. You're right. Just, just physically. Just, just yeah. be physically born. You know, you're in water in your mother's right. womb and your water breaks. Right. Like a woman's water breaks when right. she has a baby. So. This does also have a double parallel mm-hmm. with the concept of baptism as well, mm-hmm. because ba- water itself was the f- foundational, um, I guess you could say, substance of mm-hmm. the earth. It was the first thing God created besides the light, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like water comes first, and through water were all things made. That's uh, Peter talks yep. about that, right? Yep. So you have this idea that through water are is life and creation being made, mm-hmm. and that's what it means to be baptized as a new creation. So you're yes, you're born of water in an Israelite sense, like you you come through water. It was a way to say that. Yeah. But as new creation, as baptism, you're also born of water. It's you're you're but, being, and and yeah. also blood. I think you know there's a, there's a big controversy surrounding this too and exactly right. what it means but i mean i just gave birth <laughs> you right, know right. you know what happens when you give birth there's water and there's blood when you physically <laughs> right, right. give birth right. and then when you're spiritually born again there's water in baptism and there's blood the blood of christ that's right and right? that's and that's the, i was going to mention this but i'm glad you brought it up the changing the water to wine that's yeah. that's a very that's the that's a principle that's the Eucharist or the communion right there the the water, water to blood, blood. Yeah. that's that same concept there but yeah it's it's very much intertwined so it's really important that I think that people have a symbolic frame of mind right. when they read a lot of the things and they don't look at it as just um, God is just giving uh, Christ is just telling you oh do this do that and do this mm-hmm. there's so much more there's such a bigger frame of reference to keep in mind because it everything ties together so intimately mm-hmm. that and it really broadens your perspective of what Christ is actually saying anyways 
we can uh, talk more about it later, but that's we it. sure can. Yeah. Okay. John chapter four. So this chapter sees Jesus traveling through the territory of Samaria, which Jews and Samaritans, very tense relationship because their religious views were um, diametrically opposed to one another. So the Jews believed that Mount Zion in Jerusalem was Mount Zion in the Old Testament and the prophecies, uh, whereas the Samaritans believed it to be a different mountain, Mount Gerizim. So they're religiously dynamically opposed to one another and socially it didn't go well between the two of them so he's traveling through Samaritan territory he sits down by Jacob's well and his disciples go into the town to buy food a woman comes to the well and Jesus starts a conversation uh, with her it's loaded with symbolism uh, really interesting using you know the well and our need our physical need for water to actually talk about our spiritual needs for a spiritual life um the woman brings up this issue between of between samaritans and jews her people and his people their mountains and you know jesus tells her that god looks for people who worship in spirit and in truth not at a particular place not at a particular mountain which is interesting. The woman that the woman then goes back into town and brings out a crowd of people to hear Jesus speak. And we're told that Jesus spends two days there teaching them. And many Samaritans believed in him as the Messiah. Jesus then goes back to Galilee. He heals a royal official's son. So this royal official would have been an official to Herod Antipas, who ruled that area of Galilee, uh, who will later hear Christ. Uh, or actually he won't really hear Christ. He'll question Christ and uh, before his death, before his crucifixion, but Christ will not answer him. John chapter five, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for a festival. And while he's there, he heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda, but he heals him on the Sabbath day. And this gets him in trouble with the religious leaders, which is a really interesting conversation that Jesus has with them. The situation then is made worse when Jesus uh, tells the religious leaders that uh, his father, meaning God, is always working. Therefore, Jesus will always work too. Uh, So not only is Jesus working on the Sabbath, but he's calling God his father. And very claiming to be the Messiah at this point, claiming to be big, bold. It's a big, bold statement. Yeah, that's right. John chapter six, Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He gives his first I am statement here in John. There are seven I am statements in John. Um, And by I am, you know, it's referencing uh, the, the name of God given to Moses back in Exodus I am that I am. Um, So the first statement here is I am the bread of life. And it it does this comparison with the manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. Uh, Talks about the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection of the dead. It's really interesting. Um, Grumbling happens in the people, uh, among the people, because Jesus is claiming to have come directly from heaven. Uh, Except they're like, how could you have come directly from heaven? Because we know who your family is. We know who you are. We know what you do for a living. So there's, um, there's also arguing that happens over this bread of life statement. Because how can you eat a person? 
Right. Right. Um, but Jesus claims that he's more than food. He's more real than than food. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Right. Food and drink are symbolic of right. Jesus seems to be what he's claiming here. Yeah. Many disciples end up leaving Jesus over these controversial statements, uh, but none of the 12 disciples do. And and just to add to that symbolism here, so you think about us in the New Testament, we're living in a dark time, as Paul talks about it. We're living mm-hmm. in a dark age, these dark times. Um, Christ being the bread of life, and we you know we eat, we have the communion, I am the bread of life, this concept, this, this symbolic notion is that we're eating the manna like the people in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We're in this dark time. We're in the wilderness, and we're sustaining ourselves on the bread of life. That's what communion is. Mm-hmm. Right? Same with the blood. It's, it's, it's they're very much intertwined here. We're in the we're in the wilderness. Satan's try the, the the darkness of this age, and we're sustaining our life through faith in Christ and all these different things. Yes. And there's a relationship there that sometimes we forget, mm-hmm. um, and that um, we shouldn't. You know, some people get scared when we say, oh, it's symbolism. You're doing different things. It's like it's enriching your mind to better understand what Christ is saying here. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the, and the idea is that God helped orchestrate Israelite history for this reason. Yeah. To communicate not only to the Israelite people, but also to the Gentiles. Yes. Also to us. So and, and, and it's it should not be a surprise to any of us that Christ used... Um, the language of ingesting of food, because we see that right in the Garden of Eden. How did Adam and Eve sustain their life without dying through eating from the tree of life? Right. How did they fall through eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Right. So this ingestion symbolism that Christ is using that he's picking up on should not be a surprise. And it hits a bunch of the main points in Israelite history, right. like the manna in the wilderness for a reason. And people leave because they're looking at it too literally. That's right. what's ironic. There's right. like, oh, you mean I'm going to eat you? Like, right. I can't. This is too weird and, for me. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's like, what's yeah. ironic here is that the people who are hardened are looking at it Right. are not actually hearing right. the, the symbolism of what he's actually saying there. Right. They're just hearing what he's literally saying. And, you know, and that it really conveys something to our culture, a very literalistic culture, right? It does. Or sometimes, you know, anti-literalism. But anyway, it's a different story. All right. We're going to boogie through these yep. last couple of chapters. John chapter 7, Jesus' physical brothers, the other sons of um, Mary and Joseph, they want Jesus to go to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem and declare himself publicly as the Messiah. So they don't believe Jesus and they... They likely just want all of this to end. Why are you being secretive? Why are you just, 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 if, if this is what you're going to do, just go. Just go and publicly announce yourself. Jesus says no. His time has not yet come, and he stays in Galilee. Uh, Jesus ends up actually going to the Feast of Tabernacles, but he goes in secret. He doesn't go to publicly dis- declare himself, but he just goes as a faithful Jew to observe the law. Um, Jesus does end up teaching in the temple courts there about halfway through the festival, and the people are really split over him. Um, they believe that they shouldn't know where the Messiah is born, where he's from. His upbringing should be a mystery. He he should he should come from Bethlehem. Uh but Jesus's heritage and his upbringing wasn't a mystery to them, yet he was a miracle worker. He was an amazing teacher. So what are they? He's checking all the Messiah boxes mm. except for his origin. And of course, they don't know all of his origin, but they think they do. And interestingly, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus. Yeah. He's a Pharisee and he stands up for him. John chapter 8, Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. 
Um, by they get him to judge a woman who is caught in adultery and Jesus pardons her and tells her to sin no more. We get the second I am statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, And the rest of the chapter is this back and forth between Jesus and the people who were against him. So that's always really interesting to read as well. John chapter nine, Jesus heals a man who was born, who was blind from birth. He was born blind. And this is a big, deal because this is something that culturally only the Messiah was supposed to be able to do. Uh, but Jesus does it in a really weird way. He makes mud out of his spit and he he puts it on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, Siloam means sent. So Jesus says, just as Jesus was sent to the world to heal it and cleanse it from its impurities. So there's really interesting language things going on here. The healed man gets ostracized by the Jewish leaders because he believes that Jesus is from God. Um, Jesus finds the man then and he tells him that he is the Messiah, the son of man. So this is a messianic title from the Old Testament prophets. The man believes and worships him. John chapter 10, Jesus uses the analogy of keeping sheep, of shepherding for his next I am statement. I am the gate. So the one who enters by any other way is a thief and a robber. Whoever enters by me, the gate, will be saved. Also, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, We see Jesus in Jerusalem for the festival of dedication, which is known today more commonly as Hanukkah. And some Jews try to stone Jesus after they engage him in conversation about being the Messiah because Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, Okay, so Jesus then goes to Bethany beyond the Jordan, which of course is John the Baptist's the the place where John the Baptist would minister. Uh, Jesus goes there for a while. And John chapter 11, we see the death of Lazarus, a disciple of Christ, not one of the 12, but a disciple of Christ nonetheless, and how God raised him from the dead. Um, This got back to the Sanhedrin, we're told, which I imagine it would. It would be hot news. Hot news, (laughs) right? Um, And so the Sanhedrin decide to kill Jesus, to stop this movement of people that are gathering behind him because they are afraid that the Romans are going to come in and take the land and take the temple. Uh, So knowing that this plan is afoot to kill him, Jesus goes to a a village in the wilderness called Ephraim for a while and he teaches there. So Jesus is actively stalling his own murder, his own death, because there's still stuff that he has to do. There's also I am the resurrection and the life. Another I am statement. Yeah, Lots of I am. Seven. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Okay, so that concludes our weekly reading. Uh, There is something that I want to bring up, though. We are cruising quickly ever towards the end of the year. Um, So if you are interested in next year, Here's an announcement for you. We're going to be spicing things up next year for the recap. We are going to be including uh, a section where Malik and I discuss questions and cultural issues and hot button topics that the scriptures bring up for us uh, as we're reading through the Bible. So if you have any questions uh, about Genesis, specifically burning questions that as we get into January, you've always wanted to know or things that really 
you have a hard time with in Genesis, please let us know. And Exodus as well. Please let us know. Please pop it in the comments because we probably won't be able to get to all of them, but we want to interact with some of your questions and with some of your comments about Genesis and Exodus as we begin to read through the scriptures next year. More on that to come, but please start commenting and and popping those down below. Anyways, have a good week uh, finishing up the Gospel of John and we will meet you next weekend and recap that then. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.